This episode of Super Pulp Science is brought to you by Rust and Water, a new graphic novel published by Chasing Artwork and written by GMB Kamichuk and Justin Curry. Available at chasingartwork.bigcartel.com. Attention, citizens. It's time for Super Pulp Science. Welcome to Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. Um, I'm here with my long-suffering co-host, uh, Justin Curry, otherwise known as Chasing Artwork. Hello. And we are going to talk to you today about preparedness. Um, there's been a lot of stuff in the news that's got me thinking about how would I prepare for um, all kinds of horrible events in the world. But um, uh, I thought, you know what, there's a more constructive conversation to be had there about how we prepare for the job that we have here, making stuff up and writing it down. Um, I have not prepped Justin much more than the title of the episode, so he doesn't really know what we're going to be talking about. I rarely know what's going on with these things. I just do you roll with it. Do you like that? Or I do, you? yeah. I, I like that I don't have to put any mental effort into this before you showing just arrive. up. And just arrive and... Yeah. And respond. Yeah. Is that your advice to most people in this <laughs> business? Just arrive and respond. For something like this, probably that's the way you're going to have the most fun with it, right? Um, cause you've Unless there's something specific that I want to bring up or talk about. or well, I don't we were, have any agenda. So. Well, we were at the Sci-Fi Horror Con. I noticed that uh, you were a bit of a media darling. Like the <laughs> news crew showed up and then like a radio guy came and like a whole bunch of people were taking your picture. And like, and you were just cool as a cucumber, just cool answering all the questions. How do you, <laughs> when someone thrusts a microphone in your face and says, hey, do you want to be on the six o'clock news? Do you... What is the mental process that goes? Uh, well, it used to be like scream in terror. Um, but after almost 10 years of, of conventions and what happens a lot is uh, like smaller groups um, that do podcasts and um, and then like radio stations. And there's always TV crews going around like doing that. I've just given enough like impromptu like interviews at my show and, and you see it going around quite a bit. Um, it was just a practice thing. Like I, I really sucked it public speaking and just giving, you know, an, an impromptu interview we'll back in the day. But I've just done a couple. And should just we dig up? We'll have to dig around on the internet and find some times we answered really badly. It's like 2006, I was on CBC, like an hour before C4 Comic Con started. That one, my dad phoned CBC and was like, hey, my son's like doing Comic Cons. Like, you should call him and see Oh my God, and they called going. you? Yeah. And then so CBC called me and... Okay, so here's something I didn't <laughs> expect to discover. Um, a lot of people spend a lot of time working on their media lists and trying to figure out like how the best outreach to those outlets uh, work. Really, it seems you just need Justin's dad to phone, um, and then you get all the screen time you want. This is good to know. Mm -hmm. Mental note. Um, okay, let's imagine that you're about to fly to an American show um, in less than 15 hours, which is true. For both of us what's on your list we should just do a big canadian show big canadian show yeah we'll start because small. yeah because there are some things well we can get into in another podcast but as far as customs and work permits and all that tax fun stuff to That's talk true. about that could be its own show yeah, yeah so let's let's 
because yeah, it takes when you're ready for that. It's it's an exciting hurdle to get over, but it's a lot of stress. So let's just talk about like a big okay, a big show you. that you have to fly to. Okay, let's go back even farther. Then I'm yeah. thinking this through. If we remember our mission statement, we would make the podcast that you and I wanted when we were starting. Yeah. So let's scroll roll back a little bit. Okay. It's your second convention. The first one doesn't count because it won't go very well. Nope. But you've decided to go again. And you've learned from your mistakes. Let's think about those times we learned from our mistakes and made our initial lists after that. You want to go first or should I? I think your setup has evolved more like erratically. Like you try drastically different things, whereas I feel like mine was small changes over time. Yours seems to like kind of jump. Do you think that that's your, uh, it's you naturally iterating like a good graphic designer should in small increments that... You can adjust, and whereas as a writer, I just suddenly, wildly vary the <laughs> plot in order to create interest. And is that accurate? Is that my perception, or is that how you feel as well, that every time like that your, your setup has changed drastically over the last couple of years, whereas mine has slowly changed? Like How, what, how do you feel about that statement? So when I was starting, um, I was focusing more on the fact that I had a book, Right, like here's a book. It has pictures inside of that book. How can I get people to look inside this specific book? Mm-hmm. And so my setup largely was around creating an emphasis on that book. Big piles of that book, uh, upright stands of interior pages of that book on poster size. You know, um, alternate covers, stuff that you know wasn't good to be a book cover, but would make a nice poster. I thought to promote that book. I'd bring all that kind of stuff and pile it up on the table. Um, I think that's a really good point to make. Like, not only do you have the book, but you have all these posters and things that didn't end up in the book surrounding the book. It's my uh, propensity to be a collage artist that makes me want to waste nothing and, like, use it all the time on things. So if I may, if I have a failed cover, um, often the image is something I like. And I really had fun doing. Yeah. And I guess it's that little piece of your ego that can't let it go. And so you listen to your editor, you listen to the people who you're asking, you know, about making that cover choice. But the other part of you that doesn't want to listen to anyone can still get their way at a show by bringing it and showing people. Um, And every now and then you get the complete exoneration of someone saying, ooh, how come this isn't the cover? Um, I think we've also, like me especially, recently discovered the power of that like the book is is cool by itself but having all those posters kind of advertising for it around it bumps up the interest on that book like two to three times okay so if we come back to that original question of what did i do differently the second show uh the first show i brought everything in the kitchen sink i just made a giant pile of like i had shirts and i had posters and i had books and i had comics one second our our co-producer opal the dog is distraught because we have stuff on the couch i.e. her spot. So I'm going to move that quickly. All right. You move that while I answer this question. Um, Opal, do you have anything to add to this? Well said, Opal. Well said. Um, Sorry about that. So um, I realized that it got a lot of interest because people came to say, like, hey, what's all this stuff? But you focus fake it is important. You make it yeah. a little bit, you little know, bit. like look Absolutely. like. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely true. But when you're trying to further the conversation of what's next, 
right? What's the next step? If step one is making people come to your table, pause for a second because they saw something they're interested in, step two needs to be having the actual conversation, right? And I mean, that's kind of metaphorical. Like the conversation could be, or the, the actions that the person takes could, in my mind, are as simple as, did they pick up the book and look inside of it? Because I worked super hard on that and I'm proud of it. And that's, after that, the rest is their decision. But as long as they looked inside of it, then I was happy. And what could I do to further that? And I realized that by streamlining the setup a little bit so that um, the things I didn't want them to interact with were at the back of the table, further out of reach. reach. And the things I wanted them to, if they were curious, naturally pick up. It's just the human curiosity as you pick up something and you examine it. Make that the book. Make the thing that was within easy reach on the pile the book. Legend has it that it was written by the Dark Ones, Necronomicon Ex Mortis. Roughly translated, Book of the Dead. And then you discovered handing people things. Yeah. Handing people books, handing people prints. It seems like not a thing that a person needs to discover, but I'm proud of this. And so I want to endorse it. And the simplest way I found to endorse it was to offer it to people. People are nervous about whether or not you can touch right, at mm-hmm. a table, um, the products, specifically. <laughs> um, so I would just alleviate that with some basic body language, pick it up off the table and hand it to them, and they could either withdraw or they could walk away, or sometimes they just, like, you know, no, no, don't make the sign of the cross yeah. and then run. But um, I put in so much time <laughs> and energy into something that I just really value. So I want to see if... Someone else might like it too. So you put it in their hands. And then just leave them alone. Yeah. Generally speaking, you just let them be. There's also that, um, like, psychologically, as soon as somebody's holding a product in their hand, there's a little part of their brain that now has decided, because I'm physically holding this, this is mine. And it's harder for them to let it go. It's, it's Are like we a evil s- then for doing that? I think that's just like a, a sales trick like top 10 things like if you can get a product in somebody's hand they're much more likely to want it than if they're just looking at it so what you're saying is my motivation is also manipulation a little bit i'm not sure if you did that on purpose or it was not really (laughs) sort of no no it isn't i just want them to look at the part that <laughs> your eyes only get you to the cover. Yeah. Right? You need your hands for all the rest. I, but yeah, I remember when I started out, I started looking to sales techniques because I, I never worked in retail. I was never like any kind of service industry. Like I worked on a, a farm and then in like a, a graph designer, um, like I was in a cubicle kind of setup. Um, so I never had like I never had customer interaction until I started conventions. So I did my I started doing research on like sales techniques, stuff like if somebody's standing in front of your booth, you have ten to fifteen seconds to acknowledge them or they're likely to wander past. In that first like five no, I think it's shorter. Like first couple of seconds, as soon as somebody stops in front of your booth and looks, you need to just say, hey, how, how's it going? Or like nod to them, some kind of acknowledgement that you see them there. Right. If they pr- don't get that, they're way more likely to just keep walking past. But if you, they get that nod from you, so they're going to stick around. The piece of it that sort of sticks in my craw here is that <laughs> um, that is the basic currency of human interaction. 
That's yeah. really all people crave. They want to be noticed. They want to be seen. They want to be talked to because we're human beings on the planet, you know, yep. struggling along, just hoping to be noticed. And it's horrible in my mind that that becomes, you know, a leverage point for selling something to somebody. I think of it as just being polite. I see you, fellow human being. Just be, now yeah. you're mine. Like, Doesn't hey, thanks for taking the time to stop and, and check things out. Like, Yeah, that I appreciate because yeah. it's honest, right? But, oh, man. <laughs> now I feel very sorry. Conflicted. Sorry to twist that. Yeah, because I just I try to welcome everyone that comes to the table, yeah. right? Because I am genuinely uh, appreciative <laughs> because a comic show uh, or a literary convention, there's just so much to look at, so much yeah. to see. Like, you really, you owe it to them for noticing, right? Yeah. And you owe it to yourself to try to connect with those people. So show two, I tried to focus a little more on what I wanted people to actually interact with. But also because I wasn't the expert on a lot of things in comic book land when I mm -hmm. started out. And people assume if you're there, you might be. So they ask you all kinds of questions. Yeah. And I thought if I put the books front and center, that at least I know about. Yeah. I made that. I know how I made that. I know why you I know, made it. Yeah. I know everything about yeah. that particular thing object <laughs> and so if the questions then are um, directed at that particular object um, I would be more qualified to answer them um, or it seemed anyway so I have a question like something that I, I thought about often like in my first couple of shows you know first show you go there and you usually don't know what you're doing you just kind of lay your stuff out and you see around you all these better ideas of what people are doing oh, yeah. have you ever felt um, a little guilty about seeing what somebody else is doing, how it's working, and taking that idea and utilizing it at your booth for the next setup? A few, three, four, three, four years ago, I set up at a show. I wasn't really happy with the way my setup was. I wasn't completely confident in the space I was as far as where the traffic was going to flow, and I knew that my old way of doing things wasn't going to work somehow. There was like a doubt. Mm -hmm. you know, kind of flagged. And I walked around and I found myself back twice in the like pre-show walk around. You know, you do the loop, see who's around, yep. see what's there before the crowds, all that. I found myself at this other table twice. Like I was just drawn into how it was set up and I stood back and I made a little sketch of it. You analyzed yeah, why, and I looked what's at going what on? was going on and it was just someone who had a really clear sense of here's what I do. So they had these two big sort of panel sets it wasn't quite a backdrop, but it, they had sort of built this sort of quilt of their work in two big streaks and then down it. So your eye would find the top, mm -hmm. right? And then scroll down sort of to the stuff they had for sale. And your eyes would just naturally land on the things that you were interested in. And I just, you know, it was a really simple, really um, clean setup. And I would just realize that I had made mine too cluttered and that I could do the same thing. Like the stuff I want people to notice above the crowd i have to get higher yeah and the stuff that i want them to interact with i have to put a little more cleanly space more neatly spaced so that they have room to interact with it um because shows are cluttered and if someone is you know feeling that like i was feeling it yeah maybe they could find a little oasis and i went back and redid my entire side of it tore it all down and i got it ready just like maybe a minute before opening and i felt so much better having made an actual like taking action right then at something that I didn't like. Often I find that that will happen the next day. Mm. You know, if I'm going to rearrange my setup, it's usually after the first day where it's not right. working. I just tear it all down and start over.
I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. So we've we've talked about this before and you just kind of brought it up again about having too much at your booth versus focusing on kind of a small group of products. And we're seeing that especially with a lot of print artists. Um, we have some friends with like well over a hundred different prints available at their booth, um, strung up on quilts, like quilts of uh, prints behind them, and then thumbnails and thumbnails on their table to, to present them. And then we have other people who do like just as well, who have like 10 or 15 things. Like, you know, so a hundred different versions. Yeah. Or 10 different versions. So when you're starting out, you don't have the burden of too much stuff, mm -hmm. right? You have to try and get people to notice like, hey, I have this one book. You just do your best. But as you get two books or three books or four books, you have a, um, there's kind of the difficulty of some success. Like if you've managed to get more than one product out, now all of those are competing for the same space. So if you yeah. normally have a 10 by 10 area, that's a fair amount of room, but most people you have, you know, six or eight feet at a length as a spot in a convention. And the more products you have, sometimes the harder it is for anyone to notice any one of them or give it to that, give it the attention each yeah. one deserves. Um, and so in my list now, when I'm going through it, I just organize which is the, uh, I kind of have three sections. I have the book that it's newest, right? That I must promote because it's new. Yeah. And people who have supported you want the new thing. The book I'm proudest of, right? That I find the most effortless to talk to so that if it's a show or talk about, mm -hmm. if it's a slow show or if it's a show where, um, Someone is new to my work and they, I get the same question a lot. Where should I start now that I have so many different titles? Someone say, what's the one to start? So I try to bring one I'm really proud of. So that's your like comfortable baseline, that's hard right. hitter. Like yeah. that's your, your go-to. And that can change in yeah. a given week or a month or a year, you know, what, which book that is, but it's just. Isn't one that, that interesting? Like from year to year, just everybody collectively decides they don't like this anymore. And now they, they're into this instead one book will be hot this year and yeah. suddenly next year for no particular reason nobody cares about that book yeah. anymore and well yeah. and that's the third thing i bring is the mm -hmm. thing that the crowd has determined from the last three or four shows they like the most so whatever mm -hmm. the bigger seller is for the last few shows i make sure i have that as well so you know something that's new something that i love and then something that other people seem to love and that way i don't i don't have this uh it's not as much push pull like oh i'm just doing what the crowd wants Right, you still have a sense of agency that you are in charge of this ship, and you <laughs> get to uh, you know sail where you want. Yeah. Um, what's changed for you in those first? Because your setup has grown exponential exponentially over the last like couple of years. You went from like a portfolio to a like went, featured corner booth. Yeah. So the last couple of years, um, some big changes were um, just going from I always had one table. Um, to the last couple of years, uh, I have two tables minimum. I almost can't operate my current setup with one table anymore. I need two tables or a corner or, or some kind of bigger setup to kind of get um, to function the way I want to function. 
Um, so that started out with just a, a little banner stand behind me. That turned into two banner stands behind me with a bar across and a print quilt down there. And then I discovered along with everybody else um, photography stands, which are these huge telescopic stands that photographers use to drape those big pieces of paper behind um, when they're taking pictures. So it's like a big you know, sheet of green or sheet of blue or whatever. Uh, so we travel with those bring those up, and then um, rather than building a print wall, um, I discovered printing vinyl banners. So I have these really long um, vinyl banners of my prints. Um, and the other kind of big decision that I made, I think a year or two ago, was I used to have my entire portfolio behind me on the wall, and that was starting to get pretty overwhelming. Untenable, yeah. Yeah, like it was it was pushing like, you know, 80 pieces and I didn't have everything up. Like it was it was a lot. And like I started noticing when I I went to other booths that had that kind of setup, like it was I, where do you start? It's yeah. it's just too much. So now with these vinyl banners, what I've done is I've taken my 20 hard hitters, my 2025 and I rotate them out. So the new stuff does get a, as soon as I have enough new pieces, an old banner gets retired and a new banner comes out. But instead of 80 pieces behind me, I now have 20 of my greatest pieces much bigger. And they're crowdsourced, right? Yeah, they're and they're crowdsourced. It's, it's stuff that I really like and that the crowd has also consensed on that they like. And I find that has, um, yeah, more, more impact and less like, oh my God, where do I start? And then that's kind of how I, I draw people in with these, these big posters behind me. And then um, I have no idea where I picked up this trick, but I, I owe it so much. I hand them a thumbnail, which is a 12 by 18 double-sided piece of paper with a grid of all my pieces, almost yeah, like a menu. Yeah, you call it a thumbnail, I call it a menu. A thumbnail yeah. or a menu, yeah. yeah. Um, so as soon as somebody's kind of, you know, locked on to what's behind me, I engage and I hand them the thumbnail so then they can sit there in their own little, like just quietly in their own little world and take it all in without, you know. Yeah, in the last year and a half, I started yeah. doing the menu as well. And I found that um, it's the unintended advantage to handing someone a menu that has a whole bunch of your work on it is that an introvert now can operate completely autonomously at your table. You've with, given them something to do and they can do it yeah. by themselves. Like they, they've shown they their interest yeah. by stopping, mm -hmm. but they don't, not everyone wants like a salesman to pitch them a bunch of nonsense. They yeah. just want to like make a choice themselves. And so you give them the capacity to make an informed choice. Yeah. Right. Here's everything you can't see, right. That I don't have up, but here's everything that I have available. And then you can sort of leave them be. Yeah. Right. And I that. really like that. I like being able to like, I'm, I don't need to badger you. Like here's, Here's everything. Like you decide on your own if you want to come back and further this, or just hand the thumbnail back and continue on your way. Something in heads. Just browsing, thank you. You and I have, you know, large bodies of work. You know, at any given time, we probably have 120 pieces in circulation, each of us. So, how do you do it if you only have like five or ten? Because we both started. I was trying to. I was trying to reverse engineer that in my mind. When I started doing art as prints, how I started doing art prints instead of books was that someone kept asking me, do you have a print of this page? And Did I was like, you? no, that's not a, what, is that a thing? The that whole print thing. versus book, um, you know, how much time went into a book, how much time went into a print. 
and the prices are similar. Like I've, oh, there's I've, vitriol in this. Oh man, yeah, there is. If you talk to people about the difference between, <laughs> okay, so dear listener, um, a artist's perspective on a piece of art may be that it's honest. It's everything that it ever intended to be right there in front of you. And so you can like it or not like it. And if you like it, you may want to hang it up. But some people have explained to me that books don't always fulfill their promise. Mm. And that is why art sells so well at comic shows it's such and books don't sell as well because people, have been, risk. Well, yeah, people yeah. have been burned by books that they thought might be good and then they weren't and that little lingering disappointment chases them forever but if they bought art that they put up in their house they've had this constant reinforcement of "Ooh, man that was great when i bought that oh it was i feel so great because i saw it every day and there's if, no risk there. They got that right off the bat. Yeah. If you talk to people who are making, you know, 22-page or 32-page floppy comics, you know, like not graphic novels, but like single issues, there's a lot of, in some quadrants, a lot of anger at the way that the print market seems to be stealing all the money out of the comic shows. Yeah. But that is not, in fact, true. At least not the way I see it. Because, you know, we do a brisk business in books as well. Yeah. Um, it's simply that people only have so much attention, so much time, and so much money. And so they're not going to take a risk. They have to take two risks, right? They see it. They came to the table. They engaged with you. They talked about your comic. Maybe it's good. Now they have to take another risk yeah. to take it away and read it. That's why, going back, I love taking your favorite pages from the book and blowing them up as prints alongside the book. So it's almost like... I wish I had known that eight years ago. We yeah. did that just recently. What show was that? That was the Make It show in... Vancouver. Vancouver. We had, uh, yeah, our newest book, um, Snow Troll's Daughter and Red and See-Through. Is, it's a very small book. Um, it doesn't... It's not very grabbing when you see it on the table. So we had all these 12 by 18 prints of our favorite spreads, um, kind of daisy chain behind it in this huge thing. And people are like, ooh, foxes. And then they their eyes get led <laughs> Look, down. Gnomes, yeah, right? gnomes. Yeah. And then is led down to the book. And they're like, oh, my God, it's a book. Yeah, it's all in here in this yeah. book. And then what I realized, or we realized sort of together there, that the power that the print wall has, you can leverage mm -hmm. to sell books. Yeah. Right? You can People can see, you know, you have... 32 pages or 42 pages in your floppy comic and you just have a banner with your name behind you, I feel like you're missing an opportunity to show what you really are selling. So I just had a thought. Like, should people who are selling, like, novels yeah. at a Comic-Con, because it's such a visually driven crowd and market, if you have your, your new novel there, behind the novel, if you had an illustration of a scene or two from the book with the little, like, paragraph grab... Right. Like, you know, uh, and a, a great scene that happens early in the book. Here's the paragraph and here's a corresponding image, like almost like a print of, of that Ooh, like piece of the idea. book. Now, this would require an author to have access it to would. an artist. But, okay, that, has a that book it's, has a cover. Well, And that cover usually depicts a scene. What if that cover is blown up to a size that it can be seen from a long way? Yeah. And the excerpt from the novel that refers directly to that moment in the story that appears on the cover... Then you need to, to make sure that what happens on the cover actually happens in the book, because I've been burned there quite a yeah. few times. Like, there I, was no dragons in this fantasy novel, but that cover is nothing but dragons. 
Um, but you know, so like, truth in advertising <laughs> would be well. You know, and that might make. I think it's just it the honest. idea, like um, especially in kids' books. Every once in a while, you'd flip to a page and they'd have a black and white like illustration to go. Yeah, spot page. illustration. If yeah. there's spot illustrations in your Blow book, up some and spot you're not illustrations. blowing them up to help promote that book, I think you're missing out. In a you know, at a comic show, at a literary convention, people are expecting uh, yeah. to yeah. find books and read books, and there's a different promise there. And people believe in their books. I have a huge library at home. I believe in books, yeah. but not I'm everybody. I'm just does. I'm just translating our new trick to what other people. Yeah. Things. Huh. Hmm. Interesting. If we start seeing that, we came up with it here first. Yeah, it's here first. Okay, so. Um, let us, you and I, right now, without checking our list, we both have a place where we write down everything we take to shows. Let's see if we can remember it all right here without looking. Oh, goodness. Okay. <laughs> so starting uh, with what goes into your suitcase. Um, okay. So first priority is my 12 by 18 prints. Yeah. Uh, business cards, iPad and credit card reader, float, stands, cardboard backers so I can put my stands up, thumbnail sheets, priceless, um, my vinyl banners will roll up and fit in a suitcase. Um, beside that suitcase, I will have my photography stand bag. Um, then I have bags for my artwork. Tablecloths. Mm, tablecloths, yeah. So everything's kind of sheeted in black. An extra tablecloth so you can turn your suitcase into a I piece turn of my your suitcases into shelves. Uh, my portfolios. Um, tape, lots of tape, oh, knives, so much tape. yeah, um, to cut the tape, zip ties, zip ties for my, uh, my backstand. I do, um, two bars across and then I do two kind of like short wings. So it makes like a, a lazy U kind of a, an arc and rather than just a straight and line. And when in doubt, the zip tie will hold when the tape will not. You yeah. You have to. Zip ties are always good. Um, your banners. I said that the vinyl banners. That. All right. What did I miss? I'm wondering, uh, your lanyard. Lanyards. I, I printed my own lanyards. My favorite trick at convention, or my favorite little game to play at conventions, is how far I can get from outdoors into the convention with just my lanyard before somebody actually wants to see if I have a pass or not. Recent events <laughs> have changed how far you can get. Uh, we'll just leave the uh, bad news <laughs> for other podcasts. But uh, yeah, recent events have changed how far you can get with that trick. Hmm. What else? That's a pretty comprehensive list there. Okay, so now I'm just going to do a quick... I have my uh, reminders up here of um, check my actual list, list. Yeah. Okay, so thumbnails, prints. Uh, I, we also do canvases now. So I'll usually bring some small canvases and one or two big canvases. Um, but I, I think that kind of fell into prints. Books. I forgot books. I wouldn't have forgot books. But. Books. <laughs> uh, battery backup. Oh, that's an important yeah. yeah, of course. In fact, I have it here on the table as I'm getting ready to pack. So battery backup, that's yeah. always important because something is going to die somewhere. Yeah, sharpies. Like, I forgot Sharpies too. Yeah, Sharpies for Need signing, sharpies. sharpies for writing, Sharpies for labeling your boxes. Um, oh, and hand sanitizer. Oh, yeah. Always a good yeah. one. The float. You need to bring your float. I said that one. I'm pretty okay. sure I got float. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. So I did, I did not bad. You did not bad not right bad. off the top of your head. Um, do you remember when you were first starting out how frazzly and horrible oh, it dude, was to try yeah. to remember all those things? Yeah. Yeah. It's the worst. Last minute printing. Always. I've always, I've added that to my list because I always send, la I've sent last minute printing many times and then forgot that I did so before. I, and then I'm at the show. And I'm like, oh yeah, 
I was going to, oh, yeah, it's definitely waiting. So I yeah. guess I'll bring that to the next show. <laughs> Which I've also found like the magic of last minute panicked pieces. Like you don't have time to really think about it too much or um, kind of tweak it too much. You have like usually a day, sometimes less than a day. And you, you got that one last piece that you want to get done and send off ahead of yourself so right. it's going to meet you at the show. Um, some of my best pieces have come out of that last-minute panic piece. And I think it's, yeah, a huge, huge element of, of conventions is that last-minute piece. It also reminds you what you're doing, right? Yeah. You're an artist and you want to, you know, you do all this logistical work leading up to it. And then I, you call it a panic piece, but I know both well, you and I relax the most when we're rushing through the last six hours. I say that in a very um, affectionate yeah. way. Affectionately panicky last minute piece. Don't panic. That's the first helpful or intelligible thing anyone said to me all day. We've talked about a lot of the logistical stuff. How do you mentally prepare for a show? I remind myself that I've done this a couple of times and I've overcome a lot of hiccups and that even if A, B and C you know, those those things have burned to the ground. Still got, it's still going to be okay. Still going to be okay. I've, yeah, we've talked about it on other podcasts. I've forgotten entire boxes of prints before, and the show was still a success. Um, yeah, things things have gone very wrong, and it always kind of works out in the end. There's there's horseshoes involved, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> horseshoes. <laughs> but um, when you're leading up to something, you know, like there is, uh, how do you take care so you have a positive outlook. Mm -hmm. I think we share a positive outlook in traveling to shows that we can make it up as we go if it's not working. But how do you cultivate that positive outlook? Um, you and I are not really worriers, but we're around people who are more worriers. Yeah. And I know that there are people out there who are a little bit more type A and they need to have everything on their list the right way. How do you cultivate the positive attitude in your day to day? Oh man. That's a big question. This is a big it? question. Please solve most <laughs> of society's anxiety issues. Do you with do your you answer. have? I, w I would like to hear your answer for this one, and then I think I'll be able to to answer as well. Do you? So mantras help, right? Which is like essentially just like a phrase or something that you believe in or know to be true or have proven to be true that you can repeat to yourself. Mm -hmm. um, my wife gets sick of me saying this, but I often will say, uh, "Movement gives shape to form." Right, which I stole from Da Vinci. Um, and it's the idea that if you're standing still, all the things that can go wrong are as imaginary as all the things that can go right. Yeah. Right. But once you start going, once you start doing, then you have to adjust. So um, when Da Vinci was talking about it, he was talking about, he was drawing animals and objects and people. And mm -hmm. he was saying like a fish is the shape of a fish because of how it moves, mm -hmm. right? And that seems like a simple concept, yeah. but because of where it's moving, right? It has a specific shape. And because of what it's moving in, it has to make specific movements. And so when you are deciding like, okay, I'm going into, I'm gonna be traveling for five days. There's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of things that can go wrong. Once I start going, once I start embarking on this journey, be it mental or physical or whatever, you have to be open to the fact that when the course changes, you have to change your shape to match it, right? Oh, the cab didn't arrive on time. Well, it you can't just panic. overcome. That's right. <laughs> you can't just say, oh, well, 
right? Fish don't say, oh, the water's cold now and then give up and go home, right? They're living in it. They're there. You're swimming now. Yeah. Right? So movement has to give shape to form. And so if you're in a bad mood when you start, that bad mood is only going to compound over and over and over. So if I find myself getting it, like cab doesn't show up, say, right? Frazzled at the airport. They're having trouble with my bags. Oh, they have the wrong ticket. Oh, now I'm running, right, to catch the plane. Um, the moment I arrive, and it might just be two breaths, right? I remind myself that all that stuff that just happened that sucked is over now. Yeah. Right? And whatever happens next, I am in charge of. And so if the you know, person who checks my ticket and is about to seat me on the aeroplane, which, by the way, is a magical device that is about to take me right <laughs> into the air, we yeah. should just be appreciative of that. If I take all the bad stuff that happened along the way, and now I am short-tempered with that person, that's my fault. That's not the fault of the cab being late, and that's not the fault of the ticket being lost, and that's not the fault of any of those things. That's my fault. Yeah. Right? And um, as a person who, in my misspent youth, I think had to manage a, a fairly volatile temper more often than not, I inherited that. Mom and Dad, I blame you. <laughs> uh, this is super useful, right? Um, and there are things that manage mood right? Eat breakfast. Yeah. Get some exercise. Oh my God. Exercise. Endorphins. Right? Shout out to endorphins. Those two things mm -hmm. can help you with your mood a lot. And I'm not talking about like run a marathon. I'm talking about like five minutes, Yeah. right? Like walk to the other bus stop. Go. Yeah. Going for, if you're like in a funk, I find, yeah, just a short walk somewhere kind of helps your mind reset a bit. Um, a lot of what you're saying is resonating. I do like similar mental exercises where I think of it if I'm, I'm stressed or overwhelmed and there's a lot of things coming at me and I don't know where to start, and if you just sit there and stress about it, it, it compounds, like you say. It just gets worse and worse. So I usually carp, carp, ah, compartmentalize. Carp, carpent. Say it again. Car Cup, <laughs> compartmentalize. Carpentamental. I can't say it. I'm having a stroke. <laughs> baby steps oh i take baby okay, steps. okay <laughs> so i want to just pause right now and tell the producer of our podcast dan you're not allowed to edit that out oh, we come on leave that in right <laughs> sometimes we say our words wrong justin you just have to put the proper emphasis on the right syllable <laughs> right i looked this up on wikipedia there's things we take for granted <laughs> <laughs> oh man we were sounding so wise and mature and then we couldn't say regular Anyways, english okay. words so when I have like a huge list of things that are overwhelming me, I just kind of, I, I try to get some tunnel vision on that one task and just, I'm not going to worry about all, everything else. I'm just going to do really well on getting this little, you know, new alley page done in this Quacker book. I heard book. you say a phrase that's so great. Future me is going to worry about that. Future me is going to worry about that. I'm going to do my best on this and then I'm going to go on to that. And eventually future me has to take care of, yeah. you know, 97 things. But for now... And as someone who's observed yeah. the behavior, I know that you are not, like you usually write it down. Like I see you make a note. Lots of lists. And say, future me is going to worry about this. But present me, it's got to make this page right. Yeah. Right? And I think there's, that's a difference between procrastination, right, and a plan. There's a big difference yeah. between procrastinating and having a plan. Saying I'll do it later so that you'll never do it isn't the same as saying I'll do it later and then making a list of the things you have to do. Doesn't later. making a list kind of alleviate a lot of that pressure I, I find you? I hate lists. Yeah. so much but i need them <laughs> yeah. so much yeah um what's okay. on your list right now do you have a list in front of you 
Um, mm. No, the list in front of me, it just says three things, mental, physical, and logistical, which was the things we were going to talk about. So okay. in case I lost the, th the thread. The list that I have that's related to the show is over in my bag. Um, but you have a great list. I have. Them, yeah. I'm not sure. This is in February. Um, I'm not sure when exactly this was, but it's full of things like um, signs for Cassie and Tonk. I'm going to make new signs for that. I need to send an update to Sue. I need to make a Cassie and Tonk Bible for some friends. Oh, for our media for, stuff, for, yeah. Yeah. Um, I've got Kirk's logo, Wes's contract, Drake and Andrew, I'm sending schedule. Tom, can you work for me on the 24th? Barney or Brian, are they coming to Seattle? Which one? New banners, need to make up those. So just like all these things. And those are wants, and they're in no particular order. And then nope. I notice that you've highlighted certain things. I like highlighting things when I finish them. Yeah. Right. I even make like little boxes beside them as if I'm going to check them off, but I never check them off. I just highlight I always check off the box, and I sometimes add things to the list that I've done just yeah. so I can check something off the list. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I do that. It's a horrible cliche. So what's next on the list? Let's say you have a book you're trying to sell. Right. Let, if you're just starting, you wrote a script. Okay. Right. You have the idea for a comic. You have your uh, your pitch package with you, and you're going to a show, and you have the other book that you're selling, and you have this other thing that you want to do. I think it's really important to have goals that are related to you know the monetary requirements of the event that you're undertaking mm. to do. That's a good set of goals, but you need to have other goals that are not related to the money, so that if all the things that are beyond your control, like the economy, the crowd, the show promotion, don't work out, and you're having a poor financial show, you have other indicators of success that can keep you feeling like movement is giving shape to the form, right? Yeah. In my instance, I want to be a writer, and I want to be an illustrator as a full-time position. I want to uh, write movies. I want to work on animations. And so I make lists of things that I have, right, available to me, assets, if you will. Yeah. And... I take those out onto the show floor, right? And I go looking for people you who... go fishing. Yeah, yeah, I go fishing, in a way. Um, and it has less to do with saying, like, having... A, at least for me, it has less to do with saying, oh, I have to see this publisher and then this one and then talk to this guy and do this. And just go out and be open to what can happen. Um, all the projects that I've done come from that openness. It has rarely to do with a sense of, I am going to talk to this person and get a deal no matter what, and more to do with somewhere in these thousands is someone that can probably help me as long as I have something that can help them, right? And if you're, uh, if you're on the lookout for a reciprocal relationship, you'll do a lot better than if you're just hoping that it's going to work out just for you. Okay, well, I have a different viewpoint on, like if I was in a situation where it's, it's a slow show, Things aren't quite working out. What can I do? Um, I usually start to get kind of competitive. Like, why am I not Ooh. crushing everybody right now? Why am I not, like, raking it in? What am I doing wrong that somebody else is doing right, that they're stealing my thunder right now? So You're I doing the first thing I think really important. A lot of people won't do that, right? You accepted that it must be you. Something I'm doing is not working. What can I do yeah. so this will never happen again? Like that, you know, like I'll, I'll usually go around and I'll get inspired by like what other people are doing. Like whatever that person, it's great. I love what they've done. I love like that book that they have or that setup they have. I need to take that and I need to do better. Do you notice that when you walk around the show looking for that, that the things that, at least for me, 
naturally draw you are the people that look like they're having a good time at their booth? Like that person has a lot to do with yeah, why that, that you like their... Yeah, person seems to oh, be yeah. the X factor, right? Like, Well, a lot of those people that I talk about that I see that's inspiring, I want to crush them, like those are good friends. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I'm friends with all those people now, I think. Yeah. But Yeah. Or um, they have a grudging respect for you. Right. Like I think, yeah, that, that rocket Grudging. fuel of like wanting to do better and like gets, get that, that even more epic setup that comes from being, you know, having a down show or having a down day where I don't think I'm good enough. Like, okay, well, I'm not going to get mad about it. I'm going to like buckle down and get better. Trick question. When is blaming other people helpful? Mm, I don't know, like, I don't know if I really blame, like, blaming other people for what? Exactly. Yeah. I find at shows, <laughs> people who are having a yeah, bad show, yeah, and they, they want like to blame everything. They want to blame the promoter. They want to blame the crowd. They want to blame the economy. They want to blame every other thing that isn't them. What are you usually, what are you thinking in your head when somebody's blaming all these other people? Usually, I'm what thinking, I'm thinking is, I'm like, I'm talking well, to you at your table right now, and you're listing all the things that you're upset yeah, about the show. Yeah, maybe the problem is Aren't you? I a new customer? Yeah. Perhaps you should engage with me <laughs> right now about your thing you're excited about having made. Let's flip that conversation to what, not from what you're disappointed with, but what we could do together. I'm here right now. I'm standing in front of you. Yeah. Usually those people don't last for too many more shows before they're gone forever. That's true. Yeah. If, if the problem is everybody lasted. else, they're not going to fix anything on their end. Yeah. Okay. So dear listener, if the problem is everybody else. It's because you don't have enough new work or you need to get better. Just practice more. Yeah. Get new stuff. We had uh a friend of ours. It's been really cool to see, actually. Um, I, I won't, I won't name the person just in case, but they they weren't particularly happy with how things were going at a show, so they did a complete redesign and rebrand and came back with a completely new portfolio and a completely new look. Oh yeah! And they're doing amazing now, and it was yeah. really kind of neat to see them disappear and then come back and with re-emerge. a completely new. Yeah like look and and inventory and like start killing it well that was pretty inspiring to see the cool thing about making books is that you get to do that every time you have a new book yeah right you get to sort of rebrand the whole booth around the new object right i think that that's kind of a fun exciting part of the whole uh endeavor well ladies and gentlemen this has been super pulp science where we talk about how genre gets made and in this particular instance um, how you can prepare for the things that you can prepare for and the things you can't prepare for. Movement gives shape to form. Join the fight and make comics. Woo.